Hello and welcome to Demo Tapes, the music podcast that's all about hitting rewind on the bands and scenes we love. I'm Rick Martin and this is my co-host, back in the saddle this week after a bit of a bike mishap that we talked about on the last episode, is Sarah Jane Kemp. So first first things first, the listeners have been flooding in with you know emails and tweets asking how you are, like, how are you? Are you okay? Are you fit and firing? Thanks guys, it's so nice that, to hear that you all care. Uh, yes, and I was back in the saddle yesterday actually. I only did about 15 minutes, but um, all holding out so far and I did a bit of a strength exercise this morning. So yeah, I'm great, Rick. Uh, how are you? What, what have I missed this week? What's, you know, what's been spinning around your head? Because I know there's one song in particular, isn't there, that hasn't been able to leave your head since we had a chat with Laura Jean Marsh a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to tell the listeners what it is? Yeah, I've got an absolute earworm at the moment, which is Temptation by Heaven 17. Um, and it's funny, in that episode where we were talking to Laura about train spotting, she was talking about how she loved the cover of Atomic by Sleeper that appears in the club scene. So I went, when I then went to watch train spotting again, I was looking out for that. But actually before that, they play this song set Temptation by Heaven 17, which is like an, eight, like an 80s electro classic. Um, I'd always mistakenly thought it was by New Order because New Order have a song called Temptation. I always thought, that sounds really weird for New Order to have like a high female vocal in it and this kind of slightly camp kind of temptation chorus. I'd kind of written it off, then eventually realised it was Heaven 17, this, um, this Sheffield band. And yeah, I can't get it out of my head, to coin a phrase, to the point that I've, I even played it to my kids in the car the other day and I was like, look, kids, I'm sorry, I have to put this on because whenever I'm in the car now or I've got a time to listen to music, I have to put this on. Are you a fan of that? Because I know you're a big you're a big 80s music fan, right? Oh, 100%. And when you said you've been listening to it the other day, I whacked it straight on. And uh, another song actually that came on the kind of random spot, Spotify jukebox was uh, Depeche Mode, Just Can't Get Enough. And I found myself last Sunday, you know, we're, I mean, I live alone and I'm in the house alone a lot at the moment because I'm working here living here um and my Sunday felt like the longest day in the world and I just found myself about midday <laughs> all of a sudden my phone was on the the side Depeche Mode I just can't get enough was cracked that volume was cracked so high and I was filming myself dancing and doing the moonwalk in my big north face like <laughs> sleeping bag slippers <laughs> around the living room and I sort of finished and it's like one of those things I, I didn't know I was doing it until I'd sort of done it and um, I mean, that does go to show how bizarre lockdown is, has become, doesn't it? Like you're kind of doing things like that without realising. And then, of course, I sent the video to my mum and she loved it and wants more now. But um, yeah, and then it just kind of spiralled from there. And I just listened to, I think I was listening to an 80s uh, soundtrack for about five hours on, on one of the days as well. So we've been chatting off air. We definitely want to sort of delve into the 80s as a decade, don't we? You know, I think we're at risk at the moment of kind of suggesting the only music we've ever listened to or enjoyed is the kind of guitar bands of the noughties, who we love, who we've loved having on the show, who will continue to be guests. But we want to look into other bands and scenes and eras. So I think look out for that, listeners, because we're working out. You know, we were both born in the 80s, right? So we can't exactly claim that we remember being on a dance floor, you know, in Manchester in, in 1985 and 1986. But I think we've got an appreciation for the music and we want to explore that a little bit more in a future episode or two, don't we? 
hundred percent. And uh, that's definitely one thing that I, I, I re- really wish that I hadn't have missed was that that era on those dance floors. Um, actually, another thing that feeds into that, and I think this is one of the things that's been fueling my love for this at the moment, is I've been watching It's a Sin, um, which has an, an amazing soundtrack. For, and for those who don't know what It's a Sin is, it's a Channel 4 programme all about um, kind of the 80s and, and specifically um, the AIDS and how AIDS kind of ruined the gay community in, in the 1980s. And um, yeah, the, the soundtrack's fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've not actually got around to watching that yet, but I've seen some of the ads. I know it's got "It's a Sin," for example, by Pet Shop Boys on it. Yeah, so you can tell it's got it's got an absolutely cracking soundtrack. That I guess to bring it kind of back to the now. I know you've been listening to some uh, new music, and there was one that you wanted to particularly give a shout out to. So what's been? You asked me the question. What's been spinning around my head? What's been spinning around yours? Yeah, so as you know, Rick, but if, you, if you've just tuned in and you've never listened before, uh, I also love my electronic music. Um, and I recently found out that there's an amazing collaboration between three kind of electronic gods, uh, Joe Goddard, Justin Strauss and Marcus Marr. Um, and they're called Extra Credit. And they've got a song out uh, in April called It's Over. Uh, and it is, I mean, the, the three of them, it's a project that they're three electronic musicians, um, a legendary NYC DJ and producer Justin Strauss. Um, Marcus Marr is a London DJ and producer and, and Jay Goddard is uh, of Hot Chip. So I'm sure you'll know who Hot Chip are. They've, they had had some of the classic dance floor hits over the last sort of 10 or so years. Um, and it's out on the label Dewey, which I don't know if you know this, Rick, I'm sure you do. But if you don't, and if the listeners don't, um, it's but it's the label by Soulwax. Um, and Soulwax uh, have been one of my favourites for, for such a long time. But this particular song reminds me a bit of like Julio Bashmore, Ten Walls, particularly the Walking with Elephants song, which is one of my you know all time top favorite um electronic songs um and yeah it's it's just it's just brilliant it's sort of a bit you said it's a bit hot chip didn't you but i said yes but it's a bit dirtier than hot chip it's a bit more kind of gritty electronic music but not too gritty that it can't be mainstream mm. oh, it's definitely got that hot chip the hot chip beats and just that hot chip sound but i think definitely darker yeah and i always pay attention to anything soul wax do i was a big fan of them Back in the early 2000s, they had that album, Much Against Everyone's Advice, I think it was called, or that was at least one of the tracks on it. And I would say Soulwax are definitely my favourite Belgian band, because they're pretty much the only Belgian band that I could even name. But yeah, brilliant. And they kind of went in more of a dance direction after that. They were more kind of electro rock when they started, and then... Yeah, went in more of a kind of dance direction with the Too Many DJs stuff, didn't they? Yeah. Well, one of the other songs that they released at the back end of 2020, and I love this because it's called Empty Dance Floor. Um, and you can imagine why it's called Empty Dance Floor, right? Released in 2020, because every single dance floor in the world has been empty for almost a year now. Um, and the lyrics go over the top of it and say, I can barely remember how it feels, which is is quite sad, but amazing at the same time. Um, and it transports, literally, when I listen to this song it transports me to an empty dance floor with amazing lighting um but yeah I, I it's got that classic soul wax drums and you know this this track is mixed with that kind of really dirty sound synth sound with kind of 90s acid house vibes but the breakdown you know if it goes into a breakdown with a snare and kind of a bit of a floaty synth and then goes back into the the dirty stuff so i love it so much but yeah they're just brilliant Keep sending me links to these, Sarah, because as much as you think I'm not into my dancing and electro, there is stuff that I, I will get on board with, so keep sending it. But um, that's probably kind of enough of what the music that's spinning around our heads 
at the moment. I guess this is probably a good point to talk about kind of who the band is we've got on as a guest this week, or I guess guests we've got on this week, kind of who we're hitting rewind on. Um, and I know for you, this is, they were quite a big fan of these guys back in the day. So come on, tell the listeners who, who we've got on. Yeah, so um, it's a band called The Kooks. Um, and we've, we've had Luke Pritchard on the show, but not just him. Uh, we've done something a bit different with this um, with this episode, which I absolutely love. The fact that um, he brought his wife, Ellie Rose, on with him. And there's a reason to that, because um, they've both started working with each other and they are artists together in their own right called Duo. Um, and they, they've just released an album together, which came out a couple of months ago. And, you know, we really wanted to get them both on the show to find out a bit more about how that's gone for them. Yeah, and it's also, I guess, a key year for them. It's 15 years since the Kooks debut album came out. So it was a, it was a good time for, for a bit of finding out what Luke's been up to now with his wife, Ellie, and also, um, you know, sort of reminiscing sort of back in the day. And I think, you know, we'll play that interview out um, a, little bit, a little bit later on in the show. But I think, yeah, it's important to say... They were huge. I mean, they're still huge now. They still sell out arenas now. But I remember when they emerged in kind of 2004, 2005. I mean, we'll go on to talk about this later. And Arctic Monkeys arguably were the bigger band at the time. And they, they, when I say they're in their shadow, they weren't. They just weren't quite as big as Arctic Monkeys. But that debut album, Inside In, Inside Out, was absolutely huge, wasn't it? And I know you were a big fan of that, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, you can't deny it. it's just a great album and really, really good songwriting. And and just you could tell that you know with Luke's vocals are just fantastic he's just got such an amazing powerful emotive voice and they're they're clearly a very tight band and I think one of the things that was interesting as well at that time was um I was a massive indie fan um and a lot of people in my life that are around me at the time weren't necessarily into indie but as soon as the kooks came out it was like oh everybody loved them they sort of had a bit of that they they, they kind of had a bit of their uh, their feet dipped in different pools <laughs> that's, how, that's how you can say it no toes mm. dipped in different mm. pools or you know what I mean um but what what did you think because I remember you, I was talking about it before as well and you saying every single house you'd go to when when you were a student because we were students when it came out every single person would have the album no matter what kind of music they liked it's true isn't it oh yeah I think I think the word you were looking for there is they transcended different demographics right that's marketing speak within record labels and yeah indie kids like them but I think also pop fans the sort of you know when you're at uni you have the people who go to the indie clubs and the people who go to like the gate crashers and the you know the oceanias and the atlantises and places like that those shit kind of mainstream clubs that might play a bit of kooks as well and I well, think yeah they they did they definitely worked across those audiences 100% and that's a great example my brother was an oceana guy and um, he absolutely loved the kooks he he just thinks seaside is one of the best songs ever written um so when i told him i was interviewing luke he's like what where did that come from i was like matt go and listen to my podcast i've been talking about this kind of music for over two years now it's funny because i was trolling 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 god i was about to say trolling through instagram that's a very bad slip yeah you're not allowed to do that <laughs> trolling through instagram um and was looking at one of the videos on one uh, um, on either luke or ellie's profile and i think he was um i think it must have been his profile and it's a, a video of her on the beach and him saying oh you you like a song about the seaside don't you and she was like no um it kind of encapsulates their their whole kind of um persona which which i'll go into a bit more well you'll listen to in a bit more in detail in a minute so the last few episodes, Rick, you've done a bit of a Desert Island Discs uh, intro for for the the people we've been um, interviewing. So I don't really think it works for this one, though, does it? You, you've not done it, but you've got something else, right? No, I haven't done my silly little intro for this week, but I've got a bit, a bit, a bit of a treat for you. And I don't do this enough on this show, I don't think. So 
Uh, I realised uh, around the time you're doing this interview, I actually did review the Kooks like really early on in their career, like well before they released their debut album, when they were in, uh, sort of supporting a band called the Dead Sixties on tour. So I thought it was a real treat for you and the listeners because it's a fairly short review. I might, I might read that out, and you can see how you know I had a real eye for talent back in that day, and I could really see when people were on the way up. So you're right with me reading this out. Of course, go on. I can't wait. So with their stage school past and pedigree that would make Keen blush, so that that's me calling them posh, essentially, Brighton's <laughs> the kooks are something of an anomaly. No matter. Singer Luke Pritchard jitters round the stage like hot, hot heat Steve Bays with a hedgehog down his kecks, while If Only and Do You Want combine the spunk of early supergrass with the taut funkiness of the police before Sting went tantric mad, which is ironic, seeing as set highlight and new single Eddie's Gun is all about erection problems. Fear not, the Kooks should have no problems um, keeping it up when they make their break for the big time. Wow. I mean, you can tell you read Viz. <laughs> it was very, very Viz, yeah. Like, if a band <laughs> did a song about erectile dysfunction, then that, that, that review was just going to be all about dicks. That was just how it works, right? Oh, my God. I mean, that is a real skill to write a, a music review like that. And you said you think that's good. I mean, I'm listening to that now thinking, God, if I'm them, I might listen to it and go... Thanks, mate. That's mean. I but, said they were uh, heading for the big time. They, they should have been. They you did. Been you did. I mean, um, uh, maybe they were. Maybe they read it. I'm pretty sure they will have read it if it was an enemy when they were first kind of starting out. But I remember a band called the Dead Sixties. I used to go and see them as well. Wow. I think we should play out the interview in a second. But before we do that, we should probably just talk about duo as well. So we talked about the Kooks there, and you mentioned that now Luke and Ellie are in are in duo. So um, what what have you made of the album? You know, obviously you will listen to that in kind of the preparation for the interview. Like, what do you think? I really liked it and I, I, I talked to them about it on the interview so I don't want to give away too much about what I actually said and how I you know how I thought it made me feel and kind of where it took me because because that's what I said to them and, and they seem to be very pleased with with what I um what I thought and what I said to them which uh which is good you know I think I got it right um which is good because they've got it right as well so but yeah no I, I liked it it's very different to the kooks um and actually I, I'll admit that I hadn't listened to any of uh Ellie's solo stuff before but went back to listen to it and it does sound you know a bit more like her kind of solo stuff and I think their their vocals work really well together as well so and and the songs are very well written so I wouldn't be surprised if they they go on to do some really really great things with this mm. yeah I mean I'll, I'll admit I was pleasantly surprised you know often when you hear a member of band huge band does album with wife you, you sort of hide behind the sofa a little bit because you think it could be a bit of a a kind of vanity project or he's just trying to keep his partner pleased but actually yeah the more you look into this and you realize she is a songwriter in her own right you know it's definitely more it sounds more like the stuff she's been doing to me it sounds like some of that kind of classic 60s kind of girl boy pop um that you don't hear enough of at the moment you know you t it tends to be more that you were talking to him about this like fred the french do this better than we do if you know what i mean that kind of sultry uh, sort of slightly psychedelic pop so yeah uh, i was i was kind of pleasantly surprised at, at how good that is but you're right let's not give too much of of, of all that away Let, let's let's kind of let uh, ellie and luke sort of talk about it in their own words so uh, should we get the interview on yeah let's do it So on the line, I've got Ellie Rose and Luke Pritchard of the Kooks, and collectively, you guys are known as Duo. Uh, so this interview is actually being recorded the day after Valentine's Day. So I think it would be very fair to start off by asking you guys how you spent yours. Uh, what did we think? It was so romantic. It was um, unbelievable, I think. 
we just uh, sort of lay on the sofa for about eight hours. Um, actually, Ellie played Sims. For most oh, of okay. Okay, so you're a bit of a Sims fan over here, are you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Massively. And then mm. we, we were recording a cover and then we, for yeah. Instagram, so we rowed for about There's a lot of friction. an hour yeah. while trying to record that. <clears throat> but friction can be good for music, I think. <laughs> you know, sometimes it creates something that, you know, good. Mm. I'm not sure that happened with the cover, but sometimes friction can be good. It was it was a nice um, day there. But it was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Probably a lot different to you. What would you usually be getting up to if it wasn't for lockdown? Um, <laughs> You're usually away. I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I am quite romantic. Yeah, you I'm are a, romantic. I'd probably try and book something fun, you know. Oh, wait, the London last Eye year. or something. <laughs> <laughs> or the Rose. <laughs> last year you tried to book the restaurant that we went to the night before you proposed. Oh, I did. I did. That's true. But you booked the wrong restaurant. Yeah, I fucked up. By accident. But it was actually really nice. It was next door, though. So yes. And I didn't really realise they were different. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, no, that was cool. It was better, actually. It was good. Mm. Yeah. That's not, yeah, I, I did some, something similar a couple of years ago with my boyfriend. I booked the wrong date completely and we turned up on Valentine's Day and they just sort of laughed us out of there and said, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty bad. But um, we normally say that demo tapes is a bit of a lockdown free zone because, you know, we don't want to be all doom and gloom on this podcast. But I'm sort of keen to understand the dynamics that it's created for you. Kind of, you know, you both live together, you work together, you, you've, you've done an album together, um, you know, both as a couple and musically. How, have there been many changes during lockdown um, or did you already spend a lot of time together before? Because, you know, you're both working musicians anyway, aren't you? Um, we did not spend that much time before. No, <clears throat> we did. We, you would tour a lot. We did when we could, you know. Yeah. But um, when we, we couldn't, I'd be partying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was a big change. I mean, it's kind of um, it just gave us that yeah space to do the record because we had started making music together, yeah. but we had to do it so intermittently. <clears throat> and I've been working on the Kooks album as well, and so um, we can. It, it it did give us a kind of window for for to, to get duo really yeah. finished. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think it, it's that day in day out thing is um really good for the music i think and it's like with the guys like especially like on on our first album and stuff we would you know we would live together be together all the time i think it's quite quite good so mm. um in answer to your question yes it did change <laughs> <laughs> but obviously obviously in a good way right so i think you know yeah. we've all heard the, the stories of not people not getting on so well during lockdown but for you guys it seems to hopefully it's been a good thing yeah. But we were, we'd literally just got married at the end of 2019. Yeah. So it was actually quite nice. Yeah. The honeymoon got... period. Exactly. Yeah. It all fell yeah, at the right time. It's all from here, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, never say that. It's, I'm a hopeless romantic at heart as well. So <laughs> it's forever. Everything's forever. Hopeless romance is the. <laughs> the best but that probably segues quite nicely into the music that you guys have been working on together and I do want to talk about that your kind of separate music careers a little bit later in the interview but to kind of kick off with it'd be really good to understand a bit more about duo and the self-titled album that you released in December um, and you know you just mentioned there and I've, I've read a couple of interviews about the fact that you know lockdown was probably a bit of a catalyst for that but what you know can you talk us through why you decided to produce the album together 
Ooh. I think it was, well, I kind of, as a rule, did not want to really make music with you yeah. when we met, but then Luke booked a studio when we yeah. met. I forced, to, I forced the issue. To hang out in. And... Well, we've got to get us out of the way. Cause okay. If we're both songwriters really... and we don't write together, we, we need, need to, to know just now. see what happens, <laughs> try it out. Yeah, I was just really fun. shy. Yeah, you But were. we yeah. did the two first songs that we released, Don't Judge and Darling, mm. and we wrote them. And we just kind of sat on them for a while. And then everyone that we played to really liked them. And yeah. I think, yeah, so it was kind of, it was very accidental, but then we got to the point yeah. where we would talk about all those old French couples that made music together that we loved and how we kind of missed that in the world, especially mm -hmm. like you don't really have any British couples doing something really funny and like light-hearted yeah so we just kind of filled the void ourselves in an arrogant way it, well no it's, <laughs> we talk a lot because it just feels like a real time and you know it, it it's not a, a criticism of the times but it's just a real time when music is quite heavy and quite you know serious people want to talk about um quite heavy topics mm. and I think there's nothing wrong with that at all but we just you know we were listening to like Bruno Mars and like you know <laughs> and like yeah French music and stuff that's really and we just Silly were like fun, kind of yeah. excited to maybe for ourselves more than anything um which is the beauty of it as well because we were it was purely for enjoyment mm -hmm. um like Elle said you know we, we we did these demos not really even as demos really were they we were just yeah. like we'll have fun and then, and then it was like you know randomly uh you know, my publisher was like, oh, can I hear some? And he like flipped on Darling and I was like, oh, you like this? Like, <laughs> okay, cool. You want to try and sell it? Like, I'm like, no, nice. no, no, it's not for sale. You know, but it was that kind of, that was a nice experience, wasn't it? And then yeah. we went, okay, cool. Well, maybe, maybe we could do an album. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. So that, that, uh, that fateful day of booking the studio was, was the right thing to do. Well done. <laughs> it's, but talking about some of the, the kind of couple duos, who are your favourite? Because, you know, we've, we all know that the obvious ones like Sonia and Cher, Johnny Cash and June Carter, um, Paul and Linda McCartney. Uh, do you have any other ones or, or ones that really kind of stick out to you? Yeah, we're John and Yoko fans. <laughs> ah, OK. Yeah, nice. Uh, Francoise Hardy and Jack Dutronc. Yeah, Francoise and, and Jack were big, big one. And Serge Gunsball, uh, Jane, Jane Birkin. Birkin. And Bridget Bardo. <laughs> so a lot of French, a lot of French influence there, right? Mm. Yes. Okay. Is that is that a common theme? Because it does. Uh, having listened to the album, it does sound, you know, like there are some kind of French, uh, French influences in there, and kind of, you know, dreaming about <laughs> sitting along the French Riviera in the sunshine. Like I can kind of get that kind of. It's either that or feeling like I was sat next to a pool with a with a, a margarita in Palm Springs or something. <laughs> Awesome. That's great compliments. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, the French thing, yeah. we like we spent quite a bit of, of time in Paris and like had really amazing times in Paris. Mm. And we both just mm. loved French music. Yeah. I yeah, like exactly. grew up listening to so much Vanessa Parody and Elise, yeah. like all the French Elise. pop. <laughs> Elise. <laughs> we, were, we were the only guy we we, we produced it ourselves, but there was one guy, uh, David from uh, his Tahiti boy, um, really genius guy, mm. makes a lot of amazing film music. Um, but we did one session with him, and he'd worked with Elise, yeah, who Ellie's like this huge fan. But she's like, I don't know if you know who she is, um, 
she was she did, like, a French pop star. Nobody like she's not very big in England though. No, no one really she's, knows. I didn't she know. She sings in French, but she had this song called Malolita that yeah. came out. I was like three or four, and in the music video, she takes her little like the story is it's like this girl taking her little sister to a nightclub, and <laughs> like three. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> She's like in the night. You'll never get away I with that in 2021. It. No. It's no. a great, it's a, it's a really cool song. Mm-hmm. But Ellie was like flipping out, you know, about this guy because he worked with him. Yeah. Her, so. so he brought in quite a lot of French influence as well. And like he yeah. showed us a lot of music that yeah. we were really loving. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But it came from films, you know, yeah. it's not films we were watching. I mean, the whole album was kind of, um, you know, our songs were inspired by. Uh, visuals as well as okay uh, funny you say that because we actually just got uh, Laura Jean Marsh on an episode a couple of weeks ago to talk about mm. movies and film and um, sorry music and movies so what which movies did you take influence from then like are there any specific ones that you could shout out for people to go and watch and like listen to the album and see some synergies between the both of them quite a few so well one film is Slogan which is where like Jim yeah. Birkin and Serge met We've never watched it, it with, with the English translation, <laughs> but the music is amazing. We can't find it with English subtitles, yeah. so we watched it in French, no subtitles. <laughs> like them so falling good. in love, like running yep. around France. Yeah. Um, Charade. Charade, La Clise. Um, <clears throat> La Ventura. La Ventura. Um, but really, yeah, but like like the ones like Charade uh, and like Fractal Tiffany's and yeah. like... Those that kind of thing. Roman Holiday. Um, we just watched a lot of Audrey. The Audrey Hepburn films. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, French. It's all, so, there's, there's so many French things going on. Do you speak French, or are you just watching French subtitles going on? No, I don't want to say, but it sounds lovely. Exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> you don't speak French like at all, and it's really annoying and sad. Although, yeah. like, we've watched so many old French TV shows and French mm. interviews now, I'm just like. Yeah. have all these French words in my head I don't know what they mean <laughs> but I just want to I want to go back to so your first uh single Don't Judge so am I right in in thinking it's because of the criticism you faced around your the age gap in your relationship is that right well kind of it, it, we did like one interview <laughs> with the guy sort of because our age gap is 10 years it's not like crazy yeah yeah like, yeah yeah it was more, I think we just, when we started going out, we had a real tricky time with the people around us. Mm-hmm. Not everyone, obviously, but I'm sure, I don't know if you ever experienced It was very that, controversial. It was kind of strange. Yeah, well, I, I was going to ask because, I mean, in this kind of society, you would expect that that wouldn't be the case. Like, I, you know, I know my, both my mum and dad divorced and married people 16, young, 16 years younger than them. So to me, it's kind of, you know, it's a normal thing. It's fine, yeah. whatever. But, um, and that was years and years ago. But um, I think, yeah, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what, what that's like, you know, as a society being... It's, to me, it's crazy. Um, but you know, what what's it like when, particularly at a time when DNI is so high on the agenda now as well, um, people sh- are people still saying things like that? Yeah, it was weird. Like my parents have a big age gap, and your parents did as well. They did, yeah. And so it wasn't it wasn't like that was kind of what was funny about it is it wasn't coming from the people you would normally think. Like it wasn't the kind of older mm. people like disapproving. It was. And it wasn't I just the age gap, I think. There it was, was a, a mixture. Factors. But I think, yeah, I was 21. Yeah, you're 21. And I, I think a lot of your friends are like, well, 
It's the, yeah, serious? the hypocrisy was real. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that must be t- that must be tough though, like for both of you, because you know when you you meet someone, it's sort of a bit irrelevant, isn't it? It's age is age ain't nothing but a number in the in, in the famous words of Aaliyah. It's true, and I think it's hard, especially with social media and stuff is you have so many opinions at once and it's like mm-hmm. so many exterior opinions on your relationship and on your yeah. age gap and stuff but I don't know I think a lot of it just stems from like mm. people ignorantly commenting on things I think people yeah. thought it was a lot more exciting than I was as well <laughs> <laughs> the party I think, <laughs> I think you know we, we we just live in a time though where it's like it on the one hand everyone's telling everyone to accept everything but on the other hand everyone's so judgmental and happy to point a finger aren't they so mm-hmm. it's we live in this kind of really hypocritical time so mm-hmm. I think even though I, I yeah it was kind of shocking I guess it is these are the times you know people are quite happy to post stuff on Instagram about you know their disapproval when in certain ways which is apparently fine but um you, you know do you know what I mean it's like it's it's a very funny time so we yeah. both- as like a semi so, kind of in joke because yeah. we didn't really expect anyone would ever hear it. <laughs> it's good. Like I think it's a really good thing that you 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 know you, you take something like that and own it, right? Because the because the last thing you want to do is make it is take it too seriously and make it sort of affect, affect things. So I think you've done the right thing with that. But um, oh, it's all early, that one. All yeah, <laughs> you know, it's good. You, I mean, there's a lot. You know, you yeah, you you definitely owned a lot in that song. I think. Yeah, and I think, and but it also is conversations. You start talking yeah. to people, and like my parents were like, "Well, yeah, we had loads of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like aggro when we started going out because of an age gap." And then like, uh, yeah, loads of people mm. had different issues where people were judging different types of love. It's it's so. a it's a nice lyric to sing. Yeah, it's fun. Don't judge our love. Feels yeah. quite. Sing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. Empowering. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got this it's fine um but yeah I want to talk about your as I said earlier I wanted to talk about your kind of individual careers and we kind of we'll, we'll start with you Ellie um talking about you as a songwriter um you know how did you get into music and and how long have you been doing it and in you know, all that kind of stuff and and why do you love it as well Ooh, I I basically wrote songs from like when I was I don't know nine or ten I can't really remember and nobody used to believe that I wrote them <laughs> I don't think they were that <laughs> good, good but, but yeah I used to lie a lot I think and then I would <laughs> play these songs um and then I started playing at the Bedford pub and Ballon my sister worked there and they would let me play like on a Sunday afternoon when I was 10 11 and I just kept getting all these random gigs where I would play um and then when I was 15 I think I was playing in a pub and I met my lawyer strangely uh who he's now my lawyer and he was like hey I'm a music lawyer and then he introduced me to a publishers so I signed a publishing deal when I was still at school uh with a company called Peer Music and then I just started writing and I was getting a few cuts and wow that's 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 like child prodigy shit <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just quite mouthy and I think I think people enjoyed that I would uh, get quite mouthy. And and didn't you play the Glasgow introducing stage as well? So how old were you when that happened? Uh that was later. I was like 
18 or 19 and that I I always danced this fine line of I wanted to be a writer um but there were so many songs I was writing that didn't really sound right coming out of anyone else's mouth so I kind of was always dipping yeah I was always like (laughs) dipping my toe in performing but like wasn't too sure but yeah the Glastonbury thing was amazing and I just went on my own because I didn't have a band or anything so like me and my mum went and I just took the guitar and every, when I turned up like everyone had didn't, bands and crew didn't, like, and Vivian everything. Westwood make your dress? No, I wore a dress that was made for my mum. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. which is really cool. And your, your pet, so talking of your mum, your parents uh, were both in the music industry as well, weren't they? Um, what, were they directing videos I've read? Is that, is that the case? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. make music videos in the 80s. And then, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> that's like the best music video era ever. Yeah, they made the 90s. like really cool, hilarious, wacky videos. Um, and it was cool because they worked together. And so growing up, we would watch a lot of these like crazy videos that they had made. And then they kind of Great got videos. more into like TV and film after. But yeah, the music videos, we watch them sometimes. We don't do, we, we do. <laughs> I mean, we know a few other people who like together being together a long time and work together and I think like it does I think a lot of people you know it does seem to work so, quite often yeah but it's, it's quite cool to have something you work on with your uh, weirdly like in our building, you know, <laughs> yeah. well we just know quite a lot of people that work yeah like exactly our ne- next door oh, neighbours are, are food stylists uh, photographers and they, yeah. they work together and yeah very happy. They do. It happens to be, doesn't it? Like creative couples. I, I think a lot of people I know who work together, they all do creative jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it tends to work more so, more so like that. But yeah, no, it, it's great. But um, just kind of quickly before we move on to, to talking about uh, Luke and your history with the Kooks, um, <laughs> Ellie, do you plan to release any any uh, an album to follow up any of the singles and EPs? Because I know you haven't actually released an album yet, have you? No, actually, the Drew one was my first ever album. Um, yes, is the short answer. I don't really know in what capacity yet, but the duo stuff has definitely helped me guide the kind of universe of music that I feel happiest mm. in. So, it's and, kind of- and do you, Luke, do you get involved in any of that side of things or, or do you just kind of stay well out of each other's uh, oh. <clears throat> separate projects? Sometimes she just asks me to like engineer. <clears throat> Not, I mean, I'm terrible, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, gets me to clean up sessions or whatever. For her. but in terms, <laughs> in terms of uh, no, I wouldn't. I you know, that's kind of separate. I I don't know. It it's very fluid. You know, like with mm-hmm. both ways with what I write, <clears throat> what Ellie writes. I feel like the way music is often is yeah, it's quite fluid. Like you might write a song and it might work for. Um, QO or it might be for Ellie or it might be for the Gooks. you just sometimes I mean I like, don't judge when the, the very first idea I had for it before Ellie basically turned it into a great song was uh, <laughs> it'd be a, a, a Kook song yeah. potentially so it's, it's kind of and then it was going to be my song and then it was going to be yours <laughs> yeah. and then we did yeah. QO so it's you know it depends but a lot of opinions though point is Ellie doesn't need you know she's amazing she doesn't need uh, me to get involved at all just maybe on the, the logic on the technical software. side yeah. the technical side yeah yeah 
<laughs> so speaking of the kooks, Luke, you've been uh, you've been in the industry for about is it seventeen years now? Is that about right? Um, I, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. We we're actually about to celebrate fifteen years of the first album. So yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. 17. seventeen years. Does it feel that long? Because that seems like yeah. quite a long time. Yeah. It does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, it's like, it's, I, I guess Duo has been nice to break it up a bit because it's been like always the same band and the same stuff. So it's been nice to break that up. But it doesn't, it's still, <clears throat> there's been so many phases of the Kooks, uh, mainly because we have had so many members. But it's, um, we, you know, we, we've had so many different incarnations that it's always felt fresh. Mm. But it's a long time like that you know you go fuck it's like yeah and i'm still but, still around because a, a lot of bands yeah. that were going back in those days you know they're, they're nowhere to be seen right now so it's you know it's quite a, yeah. a credit to you guys that you're still kind of doing it but you signed a record deal pretty early on with virgin right yeah. a few months after forming so looking back on that now i mean how old were you then as well you you must have been pretty young at that time to to have been signing to kind of a major record label yeah, oh yeah no it was I think 19. 19. And, ha and how do you reflect on that now? Never should have done it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know how I reflect on it is like, it's amazing. And, um, you know, you don't want, you, you can't change anything and you wouldn't want to change anything. Um, but at the same time, it, it, you know, I kind of <clears throat> think it was, it was quick. And I, I think that is life. But I think with um, <clears throat> you can never tell how it's going to go, but with the band, our first album just blew up so quick, so, and we were so young. I kind of do look back and think um, that yeah, I, I would have preferred a slower pace in some ways because um, we didn't, you know, once the album it, it, it kind of went. We weren't ever meant to be, you know. I don't think we got as hyped. Um, it felt like that anyway, and then all of a sudden it went crazy, and we didn't really have a normal life for a couple of years mm. quite crazy and so uh it definitely takes its toll basically yeah. but yeah you know also on on reflection you know very lucky and work with amazing people and yeah the album still people listen to it which is unbelievable you know 100 i mean it, it is it was one of my favorites back in the day when it came out i think we must be at a similar age um but rick and i we're both the same age as well and we were both students at the time and it was it was everywhere it's like no you, you didn't go to a student house without someone having a copy of that, <laughs> that album and, and it just being a dance floor filler like no, no matter whether you're an indie club or in someone's kitchen or like dancing on the table or whatever it's just you know and, and still you know you go back and it's just brilliant but um Oh, I, I, one of the things that we kind of read, I, I think, is is around that um, the time it was actually released at the same time as the debut Arctic Monkeys album. Um, and that being said, your your album, I, I believe it went five times platinum, amazing. But you didn't get the same kind of spotlight that the Arctic Monkeys got, um, which I think you're quite pleased about, right, <laughs> at the time? Because I don't yeah. think you, I don't think you were the as 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 amazing as the album was and this is probably a good thing for you guys you didn't seem to be that kind of tabloid fodder mm. which you could well have been by by having that kind of success so what what do you what are your thoughts on that yeah no I think I <clears throat> would agree with that I think you know um with them take, taking that spotlight it let us kind of 
not have the pressures that they that that we might have had otherwise. Um, <clears throat> it was very, you know, it was very sort of. It was just a strange coincidence. Our arm came out at the same time, and it was a, at the time it was a slight like blur and oasis thing that, that was trying to be done or something. But it was um, for us in the end of the day, yeah. Like we, I I think it it, it definitely sheltered us probably from that amount of press and because we weren't a press but band, we were bands for the people, you know, we weren't, you know, on the front cover of Enemy every week, we weren't, Q Magazine wasn't giving us, <clears throat> you know, the front page and it, it But also I think that's because you, like, from what I've learned, like, you refuse to play that game, mm. where, yeah. like, and I think, at least from the outside seeing it, so people, <clears throat> I think some people are, like, meant to be famous and they yeah, love it yeah. and they, like, live for it and they enjoy totally. that side. Yeah. None of you guys <laughs> enjoy that, that, that side. Like, I was like, that's that <laughs> lovely, uh, not for you. I completely agree with that. And I think that as well, yeah, it was like, you know, those um, characteristics, none of that. Well, you got, I got to think like me and Hugh, especially mm. very shy, like kind of like a little bit at the time, we were very like kind of nerdy kids, really. Mm. Wasn't We weren't really kind of. Um, the kind of people who are going to go and become best mates, yeah. You know, um, charming up people, and we, yeah, it, it didn't really suit us, I guess, that world. Um, and then, but then, how, 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 how much of an impact does that have on, on your because we've talked about mental health with people on a previous podcasts, and I wasn't even thinking of asking you this because I never really, you know, thought that would be the case, but from what you just said. You know, did, were there some, were there any kind of mental health implications to that kind of being 19, being thrust into the spotlight, not wanting to be thrust into the spotlight? And like, as you said, not have been able to have a normal year for two years. Like, how how did that impact you? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I, th I think that, um, yeah, there was some some really tough things and there was, there was a lot of stuff like um, just even in Brighton, you know, we lived in Brighton and we almost got, I felt like we almost got shouted out of the city because we, you know, I, you know, you go into a pub and, <clears throat> you know, I used to wear like women's jeans and bangles and you'd, you'd be like, oh, that, that, I'm not even going to use the words, you know what I mean, from the kooks or whatever. And it's like, there was a lot of that going on. Um, yeah, like people were physically attacked. Yeah, you. we had quite a lot of that. And the culture wasn't, it was just very different then for this kind of stuff. And, so I'm glad that I see a lot of change, I think, for uh, there's a lot more like people thinking about that. Yeah. And I do think, you know, celebrityism, it's, it's something that I do believe is going to change in a massive way um, in the next 10, 20 years. Because just because someone puts themselves out there to, to be successful doesn't mean they're still a human. Right. And, you know, we got to, you know, it's very topical right now what's going on. Look at the, you know, we obviously know. Free Britney campaign, but lots of people talking about it because just because someone's up in that position doesn't mean you can okay. treat you can't diminish their human rights essentially. Mm -hmm. And so, long, yeah. I mean, I do feel you know we um, again to go back to it though we did we we kind of managed to escape some of those things as well. So there's a lot of positive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, fucking hell. Like when I think of someone who's like 19 now, thinking of being away for 10 months of the year, and and you know and did that kind of stuff it seems crazy to me now it does yeah it's sad but you said brighton we lived in brighton i i always thought that brighton's 
kind of more of the well one of the more liberal places in the UK even back then I would have thought but I'm surprised uh, that you say that about about people in Brighton doing that I mean it, it is but it, but Brighton to me has always been it's it's there's, there's like two tribes you know and right. you have that side but then you have quite a kind of aggressive side as well I don't know how it's changed these days I haven't really been back I guess also while, like but... the circles you would have been in were like the northern band kind of bands yeah, yeah they were yeah. quite like macho yeah yeah wear women's clothes <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I mean I'm so you know I we I remember like 10 of us like there was like fights with it was almost like mods and rockers you know you'd mm. have like you'd have the kind of um you know shaved hair tracksuit dudes and then we come out big hair and tight jeans you know and it was a it was like a, it was almost comedy how it was like this kind of quadrophenia like <laughs> modern version but I mean it happened and but I completely I mean Brighton's a beautiful place for, mm. full of predominantly like incredibly creative cool fucking people but it just has that side as well it's probably a minority yeah. but I mean it definitely was there I don't know if it's there now, but yeah uh, yeah I, I don't I don't know I mean probably it's probably everywhere isn't it but um yeah we had we actually had uh, Tom from Black Wire on an, an episode a few weeks ago and he was talking about the exact same thing about the they used to wear um women's skinny jeans and have to go to sort of charity shops to be able to get them because they didn't really sell skinny yeah. jeans back then like what they weren't in the high on the high street so um, and he said that they used to, you know, they got in a lot of crap for that, for, for how they dress as well. And I just find it all so, I mean, I was very much part of that scene. So every, every man I hung out with was wearing the skinny yeah. jeans as, as well. So it's not, and how, I think you set up a trend with your hair as well. Um, I had a, I've got a friend called Stu and uh, he's got like basically has your hair. Um, and he, every time he went out to anywhere indie clubs, oh, it's Luke from the Kooks. <laughs> kind of like a running joke. <laughs> so I was like... Uh, but have have you um you know ha have people commented on that? Are you bored of people talking about your hair? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. As long as it's complimentary. Great hair. It's great hair. <laughs> like I've got really curly hair. You can't see it now because it's up. But my hair is like so curly yeah. and wavy. It's, it's yeah, curly hair gang. I love it. Got them. You got you got to Those use them. The best. But same same. With, you know, it's not it's Hugh as well. I think it's the combination of. Me and Hugh, you he's a guitar player. Yeah. Like we both have super curly. He's got ginger, and I have uh, brown. But it's uh, no, it's no, it's cool. <clears throat> I think it's very hard for me to change my hair because um, you, you don't know, get recognized. I'm like, oh, I want to like do like a different look, and then it's like, I'm not me. So it's <laughs> yeah, you got to You got to keep it. You got to keep it. I've, I've seen photos of you. I wasn't actually expecting you to have your longer hair. I've seen photos of you with shorter hair, but together, I'm sure. So you did. You did cut it off at one point. His head goes very quickly. <laughs> yeah, you change it quite often. I just want to go. For, I just, I'm just into the Jim Morrison look. But then it's like when it gets that big, um, you know, it's you when get, he gets get long. Problems. He has to wear a headband. <laughs> it's like in his eyes. Yeah, exactly. We both actually get to a point where we just chop all our hair off and then yeah. let it grow. And then yeah, we're in a cycle. He did straighten his hair for a bit as well, yeah, which was yeah. we don't talk about that. <laughs> and he just ruined it. He just ruined it for you. We'll cut that bit out. No, <laughs> don't leave it in. I oh, I'll leave that in. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I try. I, I just, I just wanted something different. You know what I mean? So I wanted something different, and it's, it was so shit. <laughs> <laughs> It was like my whole mojo just went, you know what I mean? Yeah, I something like, 
Oh, like my swag and everything. I was like, oh god, it's oh my the curls. God. It's the episode <laughs> of Friends when Chandler has his third nipple removed. Exactly, that and was then he's my. Not funny anymore. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> Oh my god, that's brilliant. Well, I wasn't expecting to talk about your hair or Chandler's third nipple, so this that has been that's been a good little uh, good little break from the real the real stuff. But going back to the real stuff, um, so just want to talk a bit more about the band and how you know when when Max Rafferty left in two thousand eight, and there were loads of versions why online. So one of them was ranging from substance problems to the notion he didn't like your second album. So what's the actual real story? Um, <clears throat> you should ask Max. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> deflection, love it. <laughs> no, I <clears throat> he um it's I it's funny because we've been talking quite a lot recently. I mean we never sort of been out of contact but you know it's always been I haven't really spoken to him for year, for a couple at least two years and because of the, the 15 year uh we've just been catching up but um yeah you'd have to ask him I think he had a lot of personal issues I, I, I there certainly wasn't that he like hated the second album I you know he there was it was tricky at the time in the kooks there's a there was a lot of friction we had we, it was kind of never built to last I mean it it's for four people who kind of wanted to be almost kind of like all lead singers in a way and big personalities and I think that their frictions were quite evident from the beginning and I think it, it you know that was the overriding thing but I think with Max it, yeah he had personal problems going on at home and 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 stuff in his own life and I think he just didn't want to you know, like I was talking about earlier, you know, we, we were away for 10 months a year. I don't think he could do that. Um, mm. We musically, yeah, it started, it, I think the album went great, but it started towards the end. <clears throat> it was very hard to work together. Max um, was quite hard to, to get in the room at the end. And so um, even though it was difficult, in the end, it was always fairly amicable. It mm. was kind of like, it, the way it went down at the end, truthfully, was I went, I've, I'm going to have to now, like, you know, step in and me, Hugh and Paul are going to have to kick you out. But we don't want to. But can you do it? And he's like, I can't do it. So it's kind of like a mutual. He was like, well, I can't I can't do this like it is. And we were like, we have to carry on. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that ends it. But and was it painful? Was it quite hard at the time to, yeah. you know, all the stuff you had to deal with and then having to deal with something like that, which you clearly didn't want to do? Was that was that tough? Yeah, yeah, it was it was really hard. And <clears throat> Max, um, me and Max lived together um, in Brighton. We were like really like best friends, you know, it was very difficult. But um, it's all for the best, though. He's doing bands, really well you know? now. And he's doing great. And he. You know, Max, like, he loves, like, the outdoors. He loves nature. Like, he wants to, you know, he, he's so rooted in, like, you know, flamenco guitar and stuff. He, it just was, like, he, that's what he wanted to do with his life. He didn't want to be travelling around the world in in a, in a indie band, which I think anyone can respect that, you know? 100%. Yeah, it's been, I've, I've done tour, tours as a merch girl, and I've, I can see how hard and tough it is to go on tour. But everyone thinks it's really glamorous and fun. There are some real unglamorous parts of being sleeping in a box for a start on a tour yeah. bus. It's, it's like it's not the most comfortable thing in the world for, for weeks on end. But um, yeah, no, you can, I can completely. 
The what? You just need a lot of alcohol to get, <laughs> get to sleep, I mean, in the bunk. 100%. Yeah, Elle doesn't do bunks. She's like, nah. No, I mean, I, well done. <laughs> just put your, put your foot down on that one. It's always nice when you've got the odd kind of city where they'd be like, oh, you, ac- you actually get a hotel room here. It's like, oh, yeah. amazing. I can sleep for a night. <laughs> Great. Um, but yeah, no, can't, can't, can't deny that's, that's a, an interesting thing. But, you know, um, g- going back to what you were talking about, the 15, 15th anniversary, uh, are you doing anything for that? We are doing lots of um lots of things over the whole year uh it's a bit is it you know coronavirus i mean sorry we'd love to get through a whole <laughs> podcast without oh you can mention it yeah I'm just gonna, we're gonna be very quick <clears throat> we had a lot of plans that um are kind of pushing back but yes um there's gonna be touring and we love to do some um performing the, the whole record you know um hopefully i need to have a big party big party we're gonna i want have, it to be yeah. like naughty <clears throat> themed because i missed out we need I was to get laura we... <clears throat> <at the time>. <laughs> <laughs> so i want to recreate it so. did, did laura just do a film that's like yes giddy stratospheres that's yeah. the, why we got her on the podcast in the first instance because that this whole podcast that we we started a couple of years ago because rick and i he was a enemy um he was at the enemy for a decade around the time that all of this was going on i'm glad you missed it ellie because it was like oh. yeah we'll have to recreate it so rick and i are talking of doing about doing a, like a demo nights club night when when we can as well because and kind of recreating yeah. the the world of the early 2000s because it was just so great hopefully people are a bit a bit older now people might not do the same things that they used to do back in those days i don't know people still might whatever um but hopefully we can recreate it somehow but it's exciting to hear that you guys are going to go on tour again and um Hopefully we can come along and and uh, and watch you because because I, I haven't seen you guys for years. I think the last time I saw you actually was in Brighton mm. when I came down on behalf of Dazed and Confused because I was eighteen at the time and got this internship with Dazed and got asked to go and interview a band called the Seven Four Sevens. Do you remember oh, them? They supported you on tour. So I was yeah. I was at the venue. Yeah. I don't think we ever met, but um, yeah, I was at the venue uh, for that gig and I was backstage interviewing those guys. The drummer. I can't remember his name, Matt, I think, Matteo, he had this drum kit that you could fit in a a suitcase, and so when we went on tour, like, every night, we'd all just jam, like, in the backstage, and they they proper, like, they were amazing, Um, it was just like, it was like a carnival, the whole tour, amazing dudes. So that's fun. Yeah, I remember. I remember really liking them. What happened to them? They sort of just went like that, and then just went away, straight away, didn't they? I know Mike, it was Mike Crossy, um, who's genius producer. He he made the album. The album's great. Um, He's good. I don't know. I don't know. It's a really good question. I I I think they maybe broke up. You know. Mm. Or, um, we should listen. I'll play, to them. Yeah, they're great. They're yeah, really they were. Great. They were really good. Yeah, but um, you know, going going back to uh, music again. One of the things that Spotify's been credited with uh, the algorithms kind of hoping to open up a, a new generation well the younger generation like you said earlier people might not have you know been your music's still popular now to even the younger generations that might not have even some might not have even been born you know when, when you first kind of start releasing this music so you know why do you think songs like I, I, I guess naive is one of the obvious ones um why do you think they resonate with fans who are who are young because mm-hmm. it's a great song <laughs> I mean that's that's 
probably the simple and effective answer, right? <laughs> you know what's so weird? My little sister, she well, she's 18 now, but all of her friends thought it was a new song. Yeah. And they all were listening to it. That's the beauty of Spotify. It, like, completely democratises the whole thing. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of talk, because obviously the, the financial side isn't great. But then with the kooks, I mean, I, th I feel like we're in this great spot with it where we kind of benefited so much from Spotify because it just, yeah. But I mean, I, you know, you can analyse it till whenever and you can never understand it. So, you know, it's just it, that album, I guess, is kind of a coming of age record. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's my, my, my vocals are quite, quite intense and kind of <laughs> emotional. I think uh, maybe that, you know, it's when you're going through that time, maybe. Yeah, very relatable. It's, it's some stuff, but I, I don't know. Nice, no, like know. a very relatable song, for sure. And and Ellie, so I was going to ask you what what you think to because you just said you were you were young when when all this was going on. Um, were you aware of this sort of? Well, were you aware of the coots? Were you aware of the music? And clearly that you were really tuned tuned in at that age anyway to music. So you probably did, and you probably knew how good the songs were then, but. Um, what do you think of this? What did you think of the songs then? What and in comparison to what you think now? Um, yeah, well, my sister is the same age as Luke, one of my big sisters, and she was very much like in the scene, indie kid, mm -hmm. wasn't she? And she like worked in, she used to work in music as well, so she knew a lot of bands. I think she, you and her had met like a few times as well. I think so. I think, yeah, she, I think she had done an interview. Yeah, or something. Uh, but um, ago, yeah. so she used to play your music a lot. So yeah, I was pretty aware of it. Although on our first day, yeah. I was really like slagging it off. Yeah. <laughs> Luke was like, "Oh, I'm in a band." I like I was that. Like, I, like that I was like, "Yeah, I hate it." <laughs> <laughs> that is the way to get somebody on side. Um... <laughs> I in the ass because I did like a university tour where I was playing loads of different cities, and I covered naive on it. And yeah, because you, you, some you people found you. it on YouTube and sent it to me, <laughs> so I got. Oh, that's hilarious! You did naive in reggae. But, <laughs> oh my god! It's very good. <laughs> it's Can bad. I find this? Is it it's, still on YouTube? It's on YouTube, it, and it's yeah. so bad. It was funny because she, for ages, she'd been like, "Oh, I never really like." She's like, "I like that song, Bad Habit," like that one tune. Yeah. Like, because when Ellie lived no. in LA, she was like listening to it mm. on the radio there a bit, and and that's what you. And then I was like, you you covered naive. I was like, <laughs> I was what? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> that's you so do like weird. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Yeah, those comments are really on YouTube though, because they're all like, yeah. they're like, um, she's now married to yeah. him. Like, <laughs> how did that happen? I know that's for, and your sister must have been like, what? I can't believe that's happened like she would never have thought I love stories like that you know thinking about looking back would you ever have thought that your sister is going to be married to one of the guys in the bands that she really likes at the time when you know you, I, I love shit like that a five-year-old sister yeah, I, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it but no, I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking but um kind of moving on Luke uh Rick and I were having a laugh because you're not afraid to speak your mind on some things. So are we right in th thinking you've had death threats for criticising One Direction? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And also you've criticised Noel Gallagher. Love this. Because anyone anyone who does that gets a bit of a mouthful back. What, yeah. 
What was his response? I don't really remember. Well, he just he asked us to come play a show with him, so I don't think he was that upset. What um, did you say? I think I said something like, "I <clears throat> do you know what? I genuinely don't Wait, remember." Don't, yeah, don't say whatever you said. No, it was quite bad, and it wasn't true at all. But it was um. That Michael Hutchins. I can't. No, <laughs> no, you can say that. No. What was that one? Go on. Going up against Noel Gallagher. It's a tricky. One. I mean, just to be clear, though, it's like the, the One Direction one. You know, I didn't actually. There was nothing about them, but it was. Uh, it, the thing is, things get misconstrued, and yes, I do. I can speak my mind, but um, sometimes when you take something, I'm from sorry a for sending death threats. But yeah, death threats and they were all from uh, me. Yeah. It's from you, Ellie. You're a one D fan. How dare you? <laughs> um, it's good that you. But no, yeah, no, no. I don't think. I mean, I, <clears throat> to be honest, I think like war for ducks back i mean everyone every, it's kind of the funny thing now as well is because um i'm not saying it's better or worse now but but back then it was quite expected and i think mm. that's the thing that i found with the one direction thing that shocked me so much was because you know you come from a time where everyone kind of did that and it wasn't yeah. really considered you know you say something you wouldn't think oh it, it was like the worst thing in the world there was just a lot of banter and i think you know especially the nme were very fond of the banter and they would love and I would I would do interviews with like you know Mark Beaumont who I, I think is amazing I, I love Mark <laughs> he literally like would just be like oh yeah like well Brad from the Lip team said you're a cunt <laughs> he like he'd be like well he's a wanker <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> that kind of thing. and you just and you would just sort of see everyone on the festival and it would just be like oh you know it's fine and so I think it, you know it's a bit like that with the older generations it's a bit more you chill. didn't realize the world had and then one direction <laughs> yeah exactly I was, what I, like, look, I, I i woke up on my phone with i like 107 missed calls That's and i was so like funny. what the hell That's but crazy. i remember when you told me about it yeah i was like shocked i was like you can't like say anything rude about one direction yeah. or like anybody at the time i, I didn't, and the I, didn't realize, I think that the, the this is another thing that's kind of, I think, maybe interesting. It's just, I didn't, there was such a big line between like bands and boy bands, which that line is now non-existent. Mm -hmm. And I think that I just didn't realize mm -hmm. that people viewed One Direction in this, like- Seriously. That, well, not just serious, not just seriously, but I just didn't realize like kind of strange to me of like, well, if that if that makes sense, it was, you'd never it was heard like, their music though, really. Hey? I'd never heard their music. Yeah. I mean, I you know, around, but I didn't really understand that they were also like how big they were. I didn't realize like, not that I wouldn't have said what I said, but I just was like, what? Like, this, like, you also thought they were like fourteen. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is where you can just like told them their ages. And you... <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Right, actually. Yeah. yeah. Like, you sing and you're like, oh. But you just, you know, it's just, um, like I say, it's old habits die hard. Mm. And it was just old habits. And yeah, luckily yeah. I didn't actually put any anthrax through my letterbox. <laughs> who, who were the missed calls from? Like Management. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to get, what? It was, what, really, it was, what, it was, it was sorry. Did you return the calls? <laughs> yeah, 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 I did. I mean, it was really funny actually, because at the time, uh, the Starwood management who, our managers they were just signing this guy actually that ellie knows um 
really great singer that they, they were just signing him to Psycho, which is Simon Cowell's label. So he was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm trying to do a million dollar deal here, man. Like, it was like something out of like Entourage. Yeah. Did you feel a bit stupid or were you just, were you just, yeah, what was you, what did you think? Why well, I, I just felt so bad, you know what I mean? I was like, and I hung over. Yeah. I just felt so bad and like, you know, having, like I say, you know what I mean, I, yeah, I talk shit sometimes, but it's not really, I don't really enjoy, like, um, feeling like I've offended loads of, like, fans of someone, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that they were particularly annoyed or anything, it was more, uh, You just, fans, like, you but, speak yeah. your mind, which mm. I love, like, when people don't have a filter and they're not mm. trying to blow smoke up everybody's mm. butts, but... Um, yeah, I don't think it translates as well on Twitter as it does yeah. in real <laughs> Never. It's like sending a text message, isn't it? Like, never be uh, sarcastic in a text message. It just doesn't yeah. work. It just doesn't work. People mis- misconstrue it all the time. But you also had a get people who called the kooks posh. Can you remember that? Yeah, Ellie. he still does that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I take it you're not posh. They're not um, posh. Well, always- I got a scholarship to a posh school. Yeah. But I wouldn't call myself posh. But I, I speak quite posh, personally, and Hugh speaks quite posh. But it, I think that it, at the time, we had double whammy, again, because we had, like, uh, stage school, because we went to Brit mm. and Vim, and then we had the posh thing. Um, but, again, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, <laughs> again, again, it's like, is that offensive? Like, that's what it's like a derogatory term for like again it's I like, think people would like some people would like being called posh. I think the worst yeah. thing is being called posh when you don't have any money yeah because it's yeah, like exactly. people think you have the advantages yeah. <laughs> of being posh but then actually I didn't exactly I didn't like you do sound I didn't like posh. people feeling like <clears throat> I me personally I can't speak to the other guys exactly but I didn't like feeling you know I got up just with my mom in like a tiny house like you know I didn't feel like the feeling that people were telling me that I was had, privileged. Yeah, that I'd like that I didn't deserve what I got kind of thing. That's that's yeah. probably where it stands from. I suppose <laughs> where you grew up with no money and your yeah. dad had died, so it was just yeah. you and your mum. And pe- yeah, it's weird like the preconception. I wouldn't marry anyone that was bosh. So you that on <laughs> Rick's gonna love that. <laughs> this is one of Rick's favourite conversations to have. But then to find I mean what is posh? But I think yeah. I think you know it's like you you know as a human being, you know what people mean when they say stuff. And yeah. it's like people if people are saying stuff that they their meaning behind it is like you had a silver spoon, you've been given every privilege, so you don't deserve what you've got, that's when you think like, well fuck you. Like you don't actually yeah. know anything about me. You don't know what I've been through, you don't know how I grew up, you're just making an assumption based on an accent. And that, and then you're into territory that it, I think is just really offensive. And so <clears throat> I think anyone, especially a, a, like, you know, 19 year old kids gonna be like, well, fuck you, <laughs> you know. It's... That's the problem is like, when you get judged on reactions that you had as a teenager. <laughs> My God, the stuff yeah. I said as a teenager, I'm yeah. glad is not in writing. <laughs> yeah same same but it's good I think it's it's good like there's a fine line isn't there between being being annoyed and being perceived to be a bit of an idiot when you're annoyed or being annoyed because you're sticking up something that you believe in and trying to educate people that's the difference I think um which is you know fair but um going back to music um talking about music now 
are there any uh, kind of bands you love, um, any bands you don't really like? What do you think of the kind of modern music world now? Because there's the scene of two th- early 2000s yeah. doesn't exist, you know, all no. that kind of stuff. Well, you can go. What were you going to say? What, why are you laughing? Okay, I thought you were going to say something. I hate them all. <laughs> Let me pick someone. Let me pick someone. To, no. I, I, I was going to say, I, I love the like modern indie music from yeah. like, America, particularly like, you know, Rex Orange County. Yeah, uh, County. Like that, like, I love that. He's English though, yeah. <laughs> from Somerset. Sounds so American. It does sound American. Um, well, I like. I really got into him. We like Zella um, Day. She's really Zella cool. Day is She's amazing. American. Um, also, um, Declan McKenna. Declan McKenna is wicked. Like that kind of indie. Sticky Fingers are really cool new band. Um, from Australia, I think they are. They like the Sticky Fingers. Like I don't know if you know them. That's like super dubby. Yeah, it's really, really cool. cool. Uh, but I like, yeah, I just love that kind of like. There's all this like really cool, like seventiesy kind of soul indie mm. music. Really loving that at the moment. I'm trying to think who we don't like. We... Yeah, that's the more interesting one. Who who? Oh, you probably don't want to name names. Oh, or do you? Ooh, I, I, the thing is, we don't. There's people I don't get, but I don't like. You know, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, you See, don't yeah. say it. I was trying to think of, um, God, there was somebody that I was like, there's somebody, and I said the other day, I was like, I really want to get in that. I don't like them. I can't remember who it was. I remember, I'll tell you. I really feel like the stuff that's the kind of the commercial stuff, like, and, you know, like, I'm really loving all the indie music, but I'm feeling a bit let down by the kind of more, like, stuff that's on radio. I feel that's how I say it like yeah. it just feels like and I miss you bit like we really like the Miley Cyrus album brilliant yeah but then that she's was like pretty... a, she's an icon I mean yeah. she you can't she's not new I mean she's yeah. a legend I mean I think what I'm saying you know what I'm saying like like the kind of stuff that's getting um that's more mainstream I'm I'm struggling with <laughs> well and I love like I do love mainstream music I don't know Luke like struggles if we listen to loads of modern music, you like struggle to hear like a real instrument yeah, for a while. That's a whole separate issue. Is it so? Okay, so is is it the the lack of bands uh, for you then that you struggle with? Um, not really. No, I'm, I I do. I mean, I think there's been there have been some proper bands come out and stuff, but it's more the actual sonics. It's actually like how it, music like her, is, <clears> he produced. has a problem with his ear. Like, well, it's not a bit of that. It is. It's his ear. This is the, this is the the drawback of doing an interview with your wife. <laughs> she, <laughs> she just starts telling us things that you don't probably don't want her to tell us. <laughs> yeah. You you say yeah. So I don't know what. The what she means? I'm fucked in the head. <laughs> He's got something wrong oh, with yeah. his ear. It's I really... do have um yeah I've got osteosclerosis <laughs> on my on my ear. That is true. <laughs> We're both laughing. I don't know what that is, but like, it's not oh, bad. Okay. Yeah. No, it's... <laughs> In one ear, anyway. It's I'm going to be like funny. the Beethoven of Indy. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great quote. <laughs> I'm the Beethoven of Indy. <laughs> Either way, there's a lot of good music. There's a lot of good. And, oh, Claire Lafoot. We, we love and Claire Lafoot and Lennon Stella. We basically are a bit into the female mm. pop. Yeah. I've got to say, it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of kind of female influence there. That's, that's, that's great. So much of the best stuff now is, that's like the female mm. songwriters are 
fucking killing it at the moment, I think. Um, how about you? Who, who, who are you listening to? I love dance music. I love all, all sorts of type, all sorts of music. I probably like some of the stuff you don't like, Luke. But um, I thought <laughs> that my music sort of changed. I ran, I ran some marathons a few years ago. I know this interview is not about me, but just kind of on that, because I, I found it really interesting. And I started listening to some of the really kind of cheesy dance music that's in the charts today. Um, and it sort of changed, rewired my brain a little bit, which was really strange because now I associate that music with the feeling that I got when I was running marathons and training for marathons, which is like one of the most, I don't know if you run, but, and I certainly didn't before that, but like, it's one of the most incredible feelings I've ever had in my life, that kind of euphoric um, endorphin rush <laughs> that you get. And I was listening to that music to kind of like G me up and and now I listen to it and I'm like oh it just puts me in the best mood it's really strange I think a lot of people have that like dance music and exercise that mm -hmm. kind of link for sure you you do like dance music though. I don't exercise <laughs> never no, probably no <laughs> I do a few squat thrusts you know oh, <laughs> I you never done a squat thrust oh god you never live so, so, so you're not one of those couples who've got you, you've not got like a room, a gym in your your house, then, have you? No, no but just, just the studio. Have a uh, room full of. Food. Instead of a gym, we we just got two tigers. I thought that would be cooler. <laughs> <laughs> that was random. What? Are you are you the are you the tiger? Are you Carabaskin and <laughs> the Tiger <Yeah>. King? <laughs> that will be south. No, we, we don't have tigers. We we quite. No. <clears throat> do you like um you know some light scratches <laughs> and stuff i try i got quite in I, I like you know boxer size and stuff like that and um a few years ago but it just never you do really, pilates i can't do running running for me i just haven't cracked it i just don't yeah yeah i was the same i was the same really hard and I think it's you've a got discipline to really put in the time right I mean you obviously have and once I, I would imagine you get to a certain point and then it's like ah oh, it's really fun yeah well you get to that point it's, it's just like, like stitches grueling. yeah oh yeah 100% I used to I used to stop I used to my ex-boyfriend like his whole family were used to run and I was just like he dragged me on a run and I think I stopped a mile in and was like no I throw tantrums when I was a kid <laughs> I was like, no, stop my foot. I can't do this. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Then all of a sudden, like, we signed up to do a half marathon. I'd never run more than two miles or something and did that. And I thought, oh, that was, that was all right. That was fucking horrible. But I did it. And then signed up for a marathon. And actually, like, there were things that going on in my life at the time that were, like, I was struggling a little bit. And it kind of gave me a bit of focus to just kind of go out there and do the training. And it, that, that's what got me through it, I think. And, yeah, you do just sort of get past, as soon as you get past, like, a 12-miler, it, it's not easy but there's something clicks in your brain and you're just like yeah I can do this I can do this and it's like as soon as you know it you're running a marathon <laughs> or two or three hey, that's inspirational yeah I know. I'm like kind of want to go running right now yeah I would say I'd the reason I say it to everyone I ever speak to and who's interested to hear it obviously I do think it's like a really good thing for your kind of your brain and your can-do attitude and like your um your ability to think positively rather than negatively because because it is so hard um and like the sense of achievement when you've done it is just incredible and you're like oh i can attribute that to other parts of my life now mm -hmm. i've so seen cool. um i've been watching so, so much uh so many of these sort of documentaries about meditation and exercise and, and they, they 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 can prove it now what it does to your mental 
uh, outlook. Mm -hmm. You can literally see it on a computer, what it does when you run. I think, actually, yeah, running is supposedly the best and then meditation or whatever, but... Um, I just can't wait for the gyms to so good for you. I know, I know. I can only really stuff. exercise if someone's, like, yelling at me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I bought one of those, like, these smart bikes, like a, a Peloton, but not a Peloton, and I had it for four days, and I've just done something to my hamstrings. I got so excited. <laughs> and then I was like, what are you doing? Like, I haven't... I've been in the house for, an, for a year, working from home for a whole year. Like, what do you expect? Your legs aren't going to be what they used to be, idiot. <laughs> So, so my bike, my new bike's sitting there. I've got a disco light for my room. I'm gonna get some good speakers. I'm making a spin studio in my flat. But um, you gotta do what you gotta do in lockdown. Yeah, yeah, hopefully your hamstring recovers and you can get back mm. to it. That sounds fun. Maybe that is what yeah. we should do. Right, bring, bring it to you. Get there. <laughs> yes, I've inspired you. This is this is what I was expecting, but great. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to I've taken up enough of your evening, I think. But I just want to kind of do a little wrap up, just to ask you what the future is. Is there going to be another album for Duo? Um, you know, what's what's next? The future is to be written. Mm. Um, we don't know. We're basically everything's been going so well, and so like we're definitely feeling like we'll do something you know we'll do another EP record I mm -hmm. I guess we you know we're, we've always assumed we'll do something else but we really haven't formulated the plan yet I think we'll probably it'll probably be something quite conceptual I would imagine yeah um that's what we've been talking about isn't it like doing something maybe <clears throat> musically conceptual um and we want to go go over to France as soon France. as we can France has been picking been up on the record so nice to us um, all the friends. But you know, we and we want to play. So hopefully, when we can do some shows, we'll be able to actually do some. We never played, performed. Uh, yeah, that's mad, isn't it? To think that you've kind of this has all happened and you haven't even played a live show. That's uh, mad. No, it's yeah. frustrating, you know, because we we would have loved to done have done it, and we had some plans. We were we were going to maybe play in the Tate Modern and the in the. Oh wow. We'd like booked it and start. It's just it's hey. It's it's all waiting for us, but um, it is strange when you make the record, put it out, and then you don't perform it. It's, yeah. I mean, like, it's a very strange feeling. Yeah, wow. Well, um, it's been so great to talk to you both. Thank you so much for talking to me about everything from the Coops to your solo career to duo. I'm excited to see what's to come. Uh, but yeah, enjoy the rest of your evening, guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Yeah, Thank we really, you. It's yeah. been so no fun. Worries. No worries. See ya. So we said that was a bit of an experiment in terms of interviewing like a couple. We often do kind of one-on-one -on -one interviews or we've done whole band interviews, but never um, a husband and wife duo. So I think that worked really well. But how did you find it as, as being in the chair and doing the interview? It was actually brilliant. I mean, when they first came on camera, I think I said to them before I started recording, oh, this is weird to kind of see two people instead of one, because normally we're just used to seeing one person at the other end of a screen and kind of they were both huddled into to one. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you never know how things like that are going to go, do you? And, and whether people are going to, you know, bounce off each other. And when you ask a question, who's going to answer it and all that kind of stuff. And I just have to say it was so unbelievably effortless. And you can just tell you know, just by talking to them and seeing them on screen, their chemistry is just like something 
incredible and you can you can see that they 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 I can understand why they work so well together and just you know the, the most adorable couple they were almost like finishing each other's sentences at parts and one of the funny things is you know I think I'd said it on the interview is um you know it, it was it was just so cute because Ellie kept saying things that you know might not necessarily have um, Luke might not necessarily have said himself but he kind of gave her space to finish it and say what she wanted to say which I thought was adorable like he could have been you know like don't don't say that but um you know it could have been quite embarrassing for him at times but but um no it was just it was just great and you can just see how much they adore each other yeah I love that dynamic in the sense that you know when you've been with someone and you're comfortable with someone they'll bring up things that maybe you wouldn't bring up yourself or they'll pull you up on it like he was saying things and she'd go no no hang on a minute I don't think it was quite like that so yeah. you don't often get that kind of devil on the shoulder in an interview do you the thing that the person doesn't want to say and then the partner sort of says it for them and what I also liked as well is you they were finishing each other's sentences and even when you were like talking about her music and then his music they both had kind of a point of view on each other's. The danger with an interview like this is that you can end up interviewing one person and then the other. And, you know, the other one may as well go and make a drink and, you know, spark up a fag while you get on with it. Whereas it didn't it didn't work like that um, at all. But I, I had some kind of interesting points that I wanted to sort of bring out that we could discuss a little bit. I think, number one, that the fact I thought it was interesting. They felt the need to write a song defending their age gap. You know, I mean, to me, looking at them during the interview, they don't look that different in age, but there is a 10 year gap and I think you know when you think about the moment where DNI is such a big thing on the agenda and everyone's kind of falling over themselves to prove how kind of woke they are that something as simple as an age gap between two adults becomes an issue that they then write a song about it so what, what did you what did you make of that? Well I think it was just from from asking them the question it was it was Ellie sticking two fingers up to people which I just thought was amazing I, one of the things I did think about Ellie in particular as well is that um you know she's very she seems very very strong-minded very confident and very sure of herself um and and that really came out that really you know stuck out to me because really you know she's 25 um I think it's 20 about 25 um, and you know I remember myself at 25 I'm 34 now so you know it's nearly a decade ago myself um I was definitely not as confident as she was and I probably wouldn't have had the balls to do some of the things that she's done around that topic so massive massive kudos to her there I, mean, I was a fucking idiot when I was 25 and I'm still I'm 35 next week and I'm still a bit of a fucking idiot so I know what you mean I always admire people who've really kind of got it together um at a sort of relatively young age another thing that came up and this hasn't really been a been a kind of theme of our recent interviews with bands it was something that came up probably a year 18 months ago when we were doing some other episodes was around mental health um and I don't think you went in necessarily planning to talk about mental health but it naturally came up with Luke around some of the pressures of fame and um, some of the things that happened uh, around the kooks. And I know you're a big kind of mental health advocate and it's a topic you're really kind of passionate about. So was that nice that you're able to kind of go back to that and better understand maybe Luke through that? Yeah, 100 percent. And as you say, it wasn't planned. So I wasn't kind of in my set of questions to ask, but there was a point where he talked about, um, you know, being a 19 year old and he didn't say the word struggling, but he sort of alluded to it. And I thought, OK, this might be a good idea to kind of go into it and go into it in a bit more detail. But, I, you know, I didn't I didn't get the um, the feel that this interview, I didn't really want to be about that because I didn't think it needed to be because, you know, this interview to me and, and, and the whole thing, I think, was very, very uplifting. And I think that could be safe for another interview if, you know, 
he ever wants to go back into that and talk about it in a bit more detail because I think I think that we could um but yeah it was it was interesting to see how you know when I asked him you know in hindsight you know thinking back about when you were first signed and he was like I wish I'd never done it I was like wow I mean that really that really surprised me and almost kind of I sat back and was like oh okay let's talk a bit more about this then Mm. it's the side I guess it's the side of fame you can only get through sort of retrospect isn't it you know because we were, we've both been around bands at the time, you know, especially back in the day where we saw them where they were, Vodacom's nobodies playing in pubs. They get that record deal. Then they're on that kind of roller coaster of fame. And I don't think even if you speak to them at the time, so if you speak to the Kooks 18 months into their career after being signed and they've had a, you know, a top 10 album, they probably wouldn't be reflecting on what it was doing to them mentally until much further down the line. And you could probably look at it and you go, yeah, like I can understand sometimes when bands say, was it, was it all was was the price of getting a record deal and doing what I wanted to do in my career was that worth it for for kind of all the baggage that sort of came with that and I do I do kind of really understand that when bands talk about it with kind of the benefit of hindsight I suppose yeah and and again another thing is you know we did talk about the fact that he was lucky I guess that the Arctic Monkeys took a lot of the limelight away but I do feel that you know, I got the sense that if I was, you know, I'm talking to the frontman of one of the biggest bands to come out of the UK in, in quite a long time. If I'd have been talking to Alex Turner, I think the interview would have been very different because of the kind of people that they are. And I think, you know, that's testament to Luke, I think, in the sense that he was so down to earth and there was there was zero kind of worry in asking him any questions that I wanted to ask him, um, which which I think, you know, just brilliant because you don't always get that, do you, when you're interviewing people? No, not not at all. I think one thing I did notice that maybe got on his nerves a little bit, not from you, but I think that had come up in other interviews, was him being called posh. And obviously, <laughs> if you remember earlier in the show, like I made a bit of a dig saying that they would they had chops that would have made Keen blush. So I'm I'm as guilty of that as anyone. Probably a good thing I wasn't there for the interview. And you, I think when you were chatting, you said I'd have something to say on what what posh actually is. So I suppose <laughs> this is my chance to sort of respond on that, right? Yeah, please do. No, I do remember saying that that you have some instead because that was a bit of conversation I thought I felt a bit uncomfortable in it because I've been called posh myself and I, I really didn't know how to verbalize it I sort of caught myself off guard with that one I've, and I'm gonna have to go and listen back and see what an idiot I made out of myself on that but I do remember saying Rick's got something to talk about on this because we've talked about it before haven't we you know a lot yeah yeah and I think I think there's a broader thing at play here right and, and again this is something I only reflect on kind of years down the line and understanding it but both, if you think about, I mean, I just think about myself personally, I was a student and a music journalist at the same time, right? Two environments where back in those days, university students were quite, you know, particularly at the Red Bricks, quite posh. I was the only one in my house who didn't have kind of a trust fund from mum and dad paying all the bills. I was the only one selling records to, to kind of pay my bills. At the same time, the music industry, undoubtedly, you know, there's a big thing kind of more broadly around DNI at the moment about diversity of opportunity and demographics, not even necessarily around gender or race or sexuality, just genuinely kind of social mobility. I don't think the music industry is a particularly socially mobile place. So when you've got people like me that have maybe broken through a little bit from a background where you wouldn't normally get in, you definitely zero in on people you think look look a bit posh. I'm like, well, you didn't have to work as hard as me to get there. But it was quite interesting in what Luke was saying and that people had that view but the actual reality of his background was was not quite that. You know, he got a scholarship to a stage school, but from what he was saying, you know, he certainly didn't grow up in in a castle somewhere. You know, he had he had a fairly 
kind of humble background. So maybe there's a lesson there in me, you know, for me to tell, to go back to speak to the, uh, how old must I be when I wrote that review? 19, I think I was when I wrote that Kooks review. You know, don't judge a book by its cover, Rick Martin, the 19 year old. Exactly. And I thank Luke for, for doing that because it's been really hard to to try and get Rick to come around to the idea of, of not judging books by covers in the past. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. And I think the final thing I thought was really funny uh, about this interview was uh, Luke describing himself as an indie Beethoven. I know you, you <laughs> found this you found this uh, quite oh. funny as well. I was laughing. I was laughing so much that I was gonna. I thought I was gonna struggle to actually get back on track for the interview again because this was the classic moment of he started talking about. He started, I'm still laughing talking about it. He start, starts talking about something, and then he goes, "Yeah, you got a problem with your ear." like does he really want you to tell me that um and he sort of was like okay and just just said do you want to tell the story so she starts telling the story and then and then he just come you know says oh like an indie Beethoven and the best thing about it was unfortunately listeners can't see but we were doing a video interview and he starts playing this imaginary air piano and goes (laughs) just like cracked me up so much but it was wasn't just the indie Beethoven thing it was just the fact that like how it came about and how Ellie had sort of dropped him in it a bit it was just perfect I loved it mm, mm. no and it really came across how much you kind of enjoyed the interview and I think you enjoyed it to the point I'm going to call it it became a bit of a mutual inspiration society you know you were talking about your marathon running and you know they I don't think Luke said he'd ever pulled on a pair of running shoes and you know he'd, you kind of maybe inspired him to look at that and you know her being a female singer-songwriter and you starting to look at creating some music yourself I know you talked about this a little bit on the show before so yeah have, have you felt a little bit more inspired to to uh to do a little bit more of that and to return to a little bit of that 100% so that like massively massively inspired me so you know I've been singing since I was really really young and I, I played the saxophone and piano up to quite a good standard but gave them both up to focus on netball because I had England trials um I never made England actually with netball and in hindsight I'm glad I didn't but um I never stopped singing and and I've been really 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 shy until very recently um when I've kind of set up a bit of a recording studio in my um in my spare bedroom and something I'd like to talk a bit more about on a future episode Rick if you let me um maybe (laughs) maybe further on down the line when I've actually got some songs um but you know I've uploaded a couple of songs covers really to my Instagram over the last few weeks um but it's not you know I'm not massively suited to my voice and that's that's the kind of point where I think right maybe I need to write my own songs that are suited to my voice Mm. um and they were talking about a lot of female singer-songwriters out there and Ellie said something really interesting that a lot of the songs that she wrote only sounded good with her voice which is why she didn't give them away and sort of why she started being an artist in her own right um so all of that really def you know definitely got me inspired and and I've been putting a bit of pen to paper but you know I'm 34 I'm just you know is it too late Rick I I don't think so I I think you know you're only as old as you feel or whatever or as old as your voice sounds I don't know where I'm going with that but look like I think we want to bring the listeners along this journey with you, you know, and I think I'm more than happy that we talk about this. And the thing to remember, Sarah, is this is our show. There's no uh, corporation sat behind this. There's no producer. There's no script editor. It's just our show. We can do whatever the fuck we want with this. And yeah, I'm I'm as keen as anyone to hear this music. So do keep us updated. Keep the listeners updated with your progress. And yeah, keep an eye on our social media channels because I'm sure you'll um, you'll start putting it out. And as I've said on previous episodes, you really can sing, and I think it'd be a shame if you um, if you didn't share that talent with the world. So yeah, I'm I'm as keen as anyone to uh, to hear some of that. 
Wicked. Thanks, Rick. And if there are any songwriters who want to get in touch and help a demo takes co-presenter out, then uh, do get in touch, which is a good segue into how people can get in touch with us. So we've got an email address of uh, demotapespod at gmail.com. We're also at demotapespod on Twitter and Instagram. On our personal uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, I'm I am Sarah Jane Kemp on Instagram. That's where you can see the singing videos, by the way. Um, and Rick, you are? Rick underscore J underscore Martin. I think the other thing I wanted to say as well is that if you're a Kooks fan and this is the first time you've heard demo tapes, like, my God, are you in luck? We've got 30 other episodes of bands that you probably love to go back and listen to interviews with. So like everyone from the Arctic Monkeys, first interviews with the enemy, to two interviews with members of Blurred, Tom Clark from The Enemy, Johnny Marr, Reverend The Makers. So if you've liked what you've heard today, do go back in the archive and have a listen to those episodes. And if you love what you hear, why not give us a five-star rating? Because it really does help us to uh, get up those podcast charts. It does. You, you sound more and more like a cheesy radio presenter every day, Rick. That was deliberate. Though. I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> I know. But anyway, uh, yeah, so keep in touch, guys. We, we do really love to hear from you. But that's all we have time for on this episode. So without further ado, it's time to say goodbye again. So we'll see you next week, guys. <laughs>